Well, good morning, church. It is always a blessing for us to gather together as God's people. Uh, and it's always a blessing when we have folks visiting with us. If you're a guest this morning, I want to extend a special welcome to you. And I happen to know of, of two special guests that I want to mention this morning. They're, they're back here with uh, the Hanners, uh, who have, have developed a friendship, a relationship in Jesus with Val and Tatiana. Could, could you stand for a second so that we can see you and recognize you? Yeah, let's clap. Let's clap for them. Thank you so much. So Val and Tatiana, uh, they, they have felt God's calling in their lives to reach Jewish men and women for Christ. And, and not just anywhere in the world, but in Ukraine, uh, in Odessa, Ukraine. They have a congregation there. And, and one of the most compelling things about their story to me is that when, when Val, as a teenager, was recruited by the Russian army, as soon as they found out that he was a, a believer, they started persecuting him and abusing him and doing everything they could uh, to beat that out of him. He was even sent to a, a Siberian work camp. I guess, I guess probably a better name for that would be a prison camp, uh, where he was mistreated for years, and he managed to survive all of that torture and all of, all of the difficulties that were in his life because he'd given his life to Christ. And i got to be honest with you. If I'd been through what Val's been through, I would really struggle with my anger and frustration towards God. But that is not, that's not their response as a couple. They're there doing everything they can to reach Jewish men and women with the gospel. Uh, and so... I just, I want you to remember their faces. I want you to join in prayer for them. And if you have some time after worship this morning to visit with them, to get to know them, to talk with them, I, I want to just encourage you to do that. It is a blessing to be in the presence of people. Two weeks in a row with Nathan, Nathan and Matha last week and then Val and Tatiana this week. People who have suffered dearly for their faith because they believe that no matter what they go through, God's calling them to reach the world. Right? And it reminds us that we're called to reach the world. I am wearing this t-shirt this morning because I'm convinced that at least for our family, for the Robinsons, part of that calling means that we're going to be a big family. And, and part of the reason uh, that I feel like we need to do it is it's really easy when you're a preacher to talk a lot about things like a church having a one-mile mission and to lean on rhetoric and vocabulary and passionate speeches and hope that everybody else will, will roll up their sleeves and go change the world starting with that one mile around our church building. But you know what? I think what really made Jesus' teaching have authority is he was able to do what he was describing. That's the kind of teaching that changes people's lives, right? That's the kind of teaching that I pay more attention to. And so I just want to confess to you, just like Dylan the, the first person who really asked me to consider being a big was Mark Rogers. In my office, telling me, look, I know, Jared, I know how, how busy you are. I know how unpredictable, how unpredictable your schedule can be. I'm telling you, you could change the life of not only this one child that you're partnered with, but you could change the life of that family. 
Would you pray about it? Would you consider doing it? And I told him yes, and I meant it. But just like Dylan, I've had all kinds of reasons that I felt like, look, I don't want to start that and then have to stop. I don't want to make promises to someone and then my schedule change. I know all the things, all the reasons that come up in our mind. But church, there is no good reason why we can't partner 13 little souls within a mile of this building and put our lives where our rhetoric is, right? That, that we don't just pray with our hearts, we pray with our hands and our feet as well. Um, and so our family, we're, we're, gonna, we're gonna go through the process of, of you know, being interviewed and, and for good reason, right? You have to go through a, a pretty significant process to make sure that this is a good thing. We're gonna be doing that and I can't wait to see how God works in the life of our family through the life of our family, in the life of someone we haven't met yet. That, in comparison to Val and Tatiana, in comparison to Nathan and Masa, that seems like, I don't even think you could say one on a scale of one to ten in terms of sacrifice. And yet God can take whatever we give, whatever we offer, and use that to touch people's lives and change the world. So I want to encourage you. I want us, before this quarter's over, I want that, that slide that says there's zero to 13 kids matched. I want us to exceed that number because I want us to be people who don't just talk about evangelism and talk about sharing our lives with people, the hope we have. I want us to be people who do it. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you so much for this morning. We thank you for this time we have to gather together around your word, and we pray that you would help us to be people whose lives are aligned with our hopes and our dreams that you have given us, not only for ourselves, but for every single person on this planet, every single soul, every son and daughter of yours. God, we pray that you would open up opportunities for us and that when those opportunities open, we would find a way past all of our fears and our concerns and maybe even what we'd have to admit are our excuses. Help us to be your people in all the places that you call us to be. It's in your son's name we pray, amen. And so it's with that, that heart of mission that we've been, been trying to think through, okay, when, when we're sharing the good news of Jesus and we're trying to talk to somebody, one of the things that would be really helpful is if we had more than just one way to talk about the power of Christ and what Christ can do in our lives. That we need more than one way to talk about a heavenly father and, and how he meets our needs because we don't all have the same experience when it comes to the core needs that drive us. And so for the past uh, month, we have been looking at these various perspectives, right? These, these ways that people move through the world. And the gospel addresses all of them. God in creating us, understands us, knows us better than we understand or know ourselves. And so none of this is a surprise to God. But I'll tell you, it's been a surprise to me. I thought everybody in the world felt a, a drive to get everything perfect all the time. Like I said in the first week, I just thought the rest of you weren't taking it nearly as seriously as I was. But then finding out that that's not the driving force in everybody's life has helped me think through, okay, it's really comforting for someone to address my need to be perfect in my relationships uh, with people and with God and saying, look, the gospel sets you free from that, 
that prison of needing to be perfect, but not everybody in this room. That's not our starting place. So, Rob, if we'll pull up the next slide, we've looked at these different needs, right? And we're focusing this morning on the need to be understood. And the way we try to understand all of these different types of approaches to life is what is it in your heart or your mind that's kind of always there? What's at the heart of everything you do? Not just what you do, but why do you do what you do, right? And I think if you're somebody who's driven by this need, this need to be understood, the key question you are constantly wondering in your soul is what am I missing that makes others misunderstand me? Now, when I say, what am I missing? I don't mean you're missing something that you're not observing. I mean you're missing something inside of you. What am I missing that makes people misunderstand me, misunderstand where I'm coming from, misunderstand who I am? I, I remember the first week when I, when I got here to ACU, I grew up in Northern California. I expected my whole life growing up to go to Pepperdine University. Uh, and then my senior year of high school, I decided I wanted to be a minister, a preacher. My dad said, you're not going to Pepperdine, you're going to Abilene Christian University. And I said, I've never heard of that school. And he said, yeah, well, you're gonna live there for four years. And so I, I got accepted and everything and had never visited in person. Which looking back, probably made me, well, it just set it up for me when I got off the, you know, the plane and looked around, I thought, oh my goodness, this, this is not Northern California. And everybody knew that I was weird. They didn't have to tell me. You know, part of it was when I went to Walmart to get my dorm stuff, the person checking me out of the cashier talked to me like we were long-lost friends, and I just kept giving this strange look, like, why, do you, why are you, what, just check me out. <laughs> and instantly, this is what the phrase I got that whole week, you're not from around here, huh? <laughs> no, what was the tip? <laughs> what was it? I'm rude, okay, the Californians are rude. And then I had these people always joke with me, you're from the land of fruits and nuts, and they always thought it was way funnier than I did. <laughs> you know, I grew up where people hate the Dallas Cowboys. They hate them. They love to watch Dallas Cowboy fans cry. Right? You don't like that about me. I know you don't like that about me. I know that you don't like, I don't like the Rangers. Right? Yeah. I, you, you feel that right there? That feeling you have where I'm annoying you because I'm different? I feel it all the time. Now part of it's just because it's me. But part of it's because I'm not from around here. Remember, I went through this whole week of people, I had a kid ask me if I body surfed to school. You have to have a body to body surf with. No, I didn't do that. I, I got in a car. Did you ride a horse to school? I didn't know, right? And it was all these reminders all week long. You're not from around here. You're not from around here. You're from a weird place where people are weird. I had people ask me, why did your parents raise you there? I don't know, because they're from there. I got to the point I was so frazzled that churches host you on a on the evening of, uh, it used to be called Welcome Week. That's how old I am. It wasn't called Wildcat Week. So we went to Mentor Lane for dinner, 
And Tony Ash was, was the preacher there, and he happened to sit across from me at this dinner, and he starts asking me questions, and he, you're not from around here. No, I'm not from around here. Do I need a t-shirt just to get past that question, right? He says to me, what does your dad do? I said, well, he preaches. And he says, well, what's his name? And I said, Lewis Robinson. And he said, well, I never heard of him. And without missing a beat, I said, well, I've never heard of you. Tony told that story every time I saw him the rest of his life. And I hadn't heard of him. I I realize now it said more about my lack of theological education than about him. We've all had moments where we're really struggling with feeling like we just don't belong. Okay, but, but there are people in our world that never shake that feeling. It's not temporary. It's not because they moved, you know, halfway across the country from where they grew up. It's something deeper than that. It's something constant. And for us to understand kind of what it's like to move through the world that way, I want us to listen to four voices of people who who are driven by this need to be understood. What's it like? Well, here's a quote. It often feels like I'm missing something integral to the human existence while also being sure that I am, above all, just too much, right? Too much for other people. I worry a lot that my voice will be lost and my words won't really matter. Okay, again, I feel like everyone in the room probably relates to this, but there are people in the room and in our lives and in the world that it always feels like this. Uh, Rob, let's go to the next one. I feel like everyone else was given the secret code on how to live with full authenticity and acceptance. I'm the only one that wasn't given the code, always lacking a sense of expression and understanding. Everyone else just seems to to have, right? It's like there's an instruction manual that comes with how do you fit in? How How do you get along with other people? And I just can't crack that code. Let's go to the next quote. I wish other people knew that I don't want to be misunderstood for the sake of being unique, right? They feel different. They feel like they don't belong. And and we may interpret that as wanting to not belong, wanting to not fit in. But this person says, look, I wish other people knew. I don't want to be misunderstood for the sake of being unique. No amount of uniqueness is worth the suffering that comes from the feeling of not being truly known by anyone, not even the people closest to you. And finally, two friends who truly seek to understand you and where you come from weigh far more in your life, right, than 50 strangers. Having a friend constantly try to understand you better feels like being able to come home to your own bed after a long trip. Now, for some of you in this room, you resonate with these quotes. For others of us in this room, this is something you might have heard, you might have heard other people say, or you might have a sense that people might feel this way, but you don't feel this way. Not all the time, not constantly. And yet I want you to think for a moment what it would be like to move through the world where you're constantly feeling like there's something missing inside of you that you can't fix, and that's the reason you stand out. That's the reason you're not embraced. The gospel speaks to that. God cares about that. I I want you to to think uh, about this phrase, right, that I'm 
I'm missing something that's causing people to misunderstand me. And I want you to think for a moment about Joseph in Genesis. His story is told in in Genesis chapter 37 all the way to, to 50. It's one of the largest single stories of anyone outside of Jesus. We have all kinds of details in his life. And, and Joseph, whether he, we don't know exactly what was going on inside of him, but we know that people in his life constantly misunderstood him. And they didn't like him for it. He, he was one of 12 sons, so he had 11 brothers, and he was his father's favorite. Now, I know that in every family, you suspect if there's more than one child, especially I grew up, you know, two sisters in my household, they were both convinced I was my parents' favorite. And I was pretty convinced that was probably true too. <laughs> right? But we didn't know for sure. I mean, even now we can't get my parents to admit that, right? They love all of us to the same degree. They just don't love all of us in the same way, right? But that's not how it is for Joseph. Everybody knows in his family that he really is Jacob's favorite son. And then he has these dreams, this sense inside of him that he, that he is unique, that he is special, right? That, that, that you know, there's going to be a future where his brothers all bow down to him. And then he has another dream where it's not just his brothers, but his mother and father too are going to bow down to him. And, and he, I'm sure, could have found a more sensitive way to share those dreams with his brothers. But he just tells them. And they begin to hate him for it. They hate him because he's different. They hate him because he believes that he is. And so when they get a chance to get rid of him, they do. They sell him into slavery without their parents' knowledge, then they tell their dad that he died, and they, they ruin this special robe that he has, and, and they make it look like he was attacked. And so all these years pass, right? And Joseph is, he, he's a, a slave, then he's in prison, and he, he kind of, God works through all of the situations there to move him from the bottom of society right close to Pharaoh, and he gets a chance to interpret a dream for Pharaoh about the future. It's about a famine coming. The whole world's going to have to deal with it, and Egypt has this advantage because God's allowed Joseph to be the one person who knows what's coming, and so he tells Pharaoh, you got to get ready for this, and Pharaoh says, you know what? You should be in charge of that, so he does that, right? And then this dreams, these dreams that he had earlier, they start to come true because everybody in the world has to come to Egypt in order to survive, to have anything to eat, and guess what? One day he looks up, and his brothers who sold him into slavery because they hate him, because he's, they're there, and they're begging for food, and he has an opportunity to get even, And he struggles with it. If you know the details of the story, he kind of messes around with them a little bit and tricks them some. And I think in all of it, he's trying to struggle with how do you interact with people who rejected you on the basis that you're you? How do you respond to that, right? So he works through all that and he finds a way to forgive them. But his brothers know that forgiveness is not a one-time event. It's an everyday decision that from that one moment forward, you're going to keep choosing your relationship over how those people have treated you or how they're going to treat you in the future. It's a journey. They know that. So when their father dies all these years later, and we've just gone from Genesis 37 to Genesis 50 as fast as I could, okay? When we get there, they're nervous that now that, that their father has died, Joseph's going to get even, He's going to do to them what they did to him. So let's pick up and start reading there together. Genesis chapter 50, starting in verse 15. When Joseph's brothers realized that their father was now dead, they said, What if Joseph bears a grudge against us? 
Yeah, you think that that's a possibility? Okay. And wants to pay us back seriously for all of the terrible things we did to him. Right? We've got to figure something out. So they approached Joseph and said, your father gave orders before he died. Your father gave orders to you, but he only told us. This is what you should say to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's sins and misdeeds, for they did terrible things to you. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of your father's God. Now I want you to notice the two words there that I think had to be the most painful for Joseph to hear. And it's a simple word. Your, your father. Twice they say your father. Now, if at his core, Joseph wrestles with ever fitting in and being a part of something, that word had to stab him in his soul. Because it's not just his father. It's their father. And even now, after all the good that he's done for them, they they don't know how to welcome him into the family. And so the response we're told, how does he respond to what they say? His heart's broken. And it breaks their hearts to see it. And let's keep reading. So they fall down after they've been weeping and begging him for forgiveness. And they said, we're here as your slaves. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I God? You planned something bad for me, but God produced something good from it in order to save the lives of many people, just as he's doing today. Now, don't be afraid. Why do you have to say don't be afraid twice? Because they're shaken. They're trembling. They're worried. And they should be. I will take care of you and your children. So he put them at ease and spoke reassuringly to them. Do you know how else we might translate that last sentence? He did whatever he could to make them feel at home. I'm convinced that what Joseph wanted more than anything else was home. And his brothers couldn't figure out how to do that. They they couldn't figure out how to be that for him. So he was going to do everything he could to do what they either wouldn't or couldn't or didn't understand. He was going to be their home. For those of us in this world who feel like there's something missing that makes other people misunderstand us, the gospel says these words to you. You really do belong. You really do belong. Here's the challenge. You're not always going to have a sense of that belonging. You're not always going to trust it. You're always going to have a, a, a realization that as good as a moment might be or as good as a relationship might be or as good as a community might be, there are times when all of us feel like we look around and people don't understand us. And, and as we talked about every week in this series, right, if, if you feel like you need to be understood, what you want the gospel to say to you is you are perfectly and fully already understood. 
Gospel doesn't say that. Because that's not the truth of, of how life's going to work. Not this side of, of heaven and eternity and God. No, it's always going to be partial. It's always going to be close, but not quite there. And yet the declaration is, even though you don't fully experience it, can you believe that because of God, you really do belong? Now, once you have a sense in your heart that that is true, but your experience of it isn't fully true, you've got a problem, right? You've got, you've got stress in your life and your heart. And you're going to think, okay, well, I want those words to be true, but Jared, I just don't, I, I've never really experienced that. And what I want you to know is, if that feeling makes you feel alone, you're in good company. I want us to read together, starting in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1, and we're not going to read the whole chapter. This is kind of, you know, one of the great chapters of, of the Bible with all these different people mentioned, uh, but we're going to read excerpts of it now. The writer starts, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And then we're not going to read all the details, but these are the names that get that gets mentioned, right? Abel, Enoch, Noah, Abraham, Sarah, all these people, the writer says, were still living in faith, by faith, when they died. They didn't receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on the earth. People who say such, sorry, say such things show that they are looking for a homeland. If they'd been thinking of the country they left, they, they could have gone back, right? They would have had opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, what? Go back, sorry, a heavenly one. Okay, you can go forward now. Sorry, Rob, I'm, I'm making things tough on you. Um, go, to, go to the next slide. Okay, therefore, because of this sense that they realize that they haven't found that homeland yet, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And then there's all these other names that get listed, right? So those were just the, the opening names. There's all these other people, and it comes, the, it comes to the end and says, some of these people faced jeers and flogging, even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went around in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, and mistreated. And they had to feel like they weren't worthy of the world. But what the Hebrew writers wants to say is, no, you got that backwards. The world wasn't worthy of them. The world didn't deserve them. They wandered in deserts and mountains, living in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised since God had planned something better for us so that only together with us, would they be made perfect? Only together with us are they going to experience what they were always longing for. This sense of wanting to believe that what God says about us is true, that you really do belong, it's in tension with the experience of a world where for any number of reasons you and I have experienced real authentic rejection. You're not from around here. Now, it's one thing if someone says that, and then they say, but we're really glad you got here as fast as you could, which I've had Texans tell me before, right? That's their gracious extension to me to say, you're not from around here, but, but we like you, right? And we want you to be a part of our family. We want you to be a part of our lives. 
But there are other times when all of us have had this happen where we have somebody say, no, I, you're, you're too much trouble. You're, you're too hard for me to figure out. You're, you, you have all these, why do you get stuck in all of these thoughts and feelings and fear? Why can't you just suck it up and move on? Why can't you just get over it? When you feel like what they really want is to be done with you, right? They, they don't want you to just get over it. They want to get over you. All of us have had that happen. And brothers and sisters, we've had it happen with people of faith. One of the worst things that could ever happen in church is a, is a church split because it's living out something that goes against the heart of God, which is no matter what you've been through, no matter whether you think you've got something missing or not, there's a place for you here. We don't have to fully understand you to fully embrace you. Okay? But we struggle with it. We struggle to believe it and experience it. And I want you to understand that if you're in that place or if you have people in your lives in that place, it's at the heart of, of Scripture for us to be homesick. To to recognize it and to call it what it is, right? And so at some level, it's this distance between how things are supposed to be and how they really are. And there's always gonna be people who won't let us just say, yeah, but we've, we've made some progress and things have gone pretty well and things are better than they used to be. Okay, yeah, but they're not the way they're supposed to be. We need people that, that say that, that point that out, right? And so as we think about this week, what is it, what, every week we talk about, what does the gospel mean? How do we share the gospel with somebody who lives from that perspective? Well, the gospel means that God refuses to give up on changing the way things are into the way things they're, they're supposed to be. How everything's always supposed to be. And not just out there in the world, but for every single one of us, God is committed to transforming you from who you are into who you, you know in your heart you're, you're supposed to be, but you're not quite there yet. And as a community, God's wanting to change this church from the way it is into something that, that we would recognize as a gift and a fulfillment of God's hope for what church could be, what it's supposed to be. The gospel means that we don't settle, that we keep hoping, that, that we keep expecting. This is the question that I, I think we want to ask, right? What would change in your life if you could actually believe that that spiritual sense of homesickness, it's, it's not something you're meant to get over this side of heaven. It's, it's not something you're supposed to get over until you're fully embraced and understood by the God who knit you together, cell by cell. You know, Paul talks about in 1 Corinthians 13, when he talks about love, he says, there's a day coming when I will be completely known. And in that moment, I will completely know. Right? And there's this, this beauty of that future, but Paul would be the first person to say, we're not there yet. We're not there yet. So don't give up. Don't settle. Don't decide this is as good as it's going to get and that's the end of it. But as you look for that sense of belonging, always reach for God. Find it in God. Seek it out in God because you're never going to find it 
in anyone or anything else. And even if, as you interact with God, that sense of God including you and embracing you, it grows over time, right? Even though it's not always as full as you'd like it to be, that's the only place, that's the only heart where you're going to find it until we're all together with Jesus as one. St. Augustine has a, a, a quote, and I've always loved it. You have made us for yourself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it rests in you. I know it's not an original quote. I'm sure you've heard it before from other preachers or teachers. But it's, it's a reminder that I need. When, when I start to feel that sense of I'm not from around here and I don't quite fit in and people don't really get me and sometimes they feel like I'm just I'm too much for them to deal with or handle that part of the reason I'm feeling that restlessness is I'm trying to get out of other people what only God can be to me. And brothers and sisters, even though we haven't ever fully experienced it, we should be homesick for it. I want to end by reading Hebrews 12, the very next chapter. Continuing the story and the argument. So then with endurance, let's run the race that's laid out in front of us since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us. Do you have that sense of belonging that the, the Hebrews writers wanting to help evoke with this picture of all these people of faith surrounding us, that we belong with them? Let's throw off any extra baggage, get rid of the sin that trips us up and fix our eyes on Jesus, faith's pioneer and perfecter. I love that word. <laughs> he endured the cross. Ignoring the shame, for the sake of the joy that was laid out in front of him and sat down at the right side of God's throne, think about the one who endured such opposition and rejection, right? Jesus was rejected and misunderstood, who faced all of that from sinful people so that you won't be discouraged and you won't, what? You won't give up. God's not giving up on changing Things from the way they are into the way things are supposed to be for every single one of us. But in order for that full miracle of transformation to take place, you and I can't give up either. We can't. We have to take the risk that even though someone else is going to let us down and there's going to be a moment where they make us feel misunderstood, we push past that. That suffering and that pain that we all go through in those moments of being afraid that we're being rejected or told we're not enough or we're not, we're not good enough, we're not smart enough, we're not bright enough, we're not, we're not similar enough. That somehow in the midst of all this, we think of Jesus and we reach out for him once more. And we ask for him to be the one who gives us that sense of embrace that we desperately need. You know, I, I think it's easy for us to decide that when we have people in our lives who really struggle with ever feeling fully connected, with, without, you know, they, they feel like that just as good as something is, it can always be closer, right? The relationship could always be better. The relationship could always be deeper. Instead of getting frustrated and fed up and saying, look, I've done all I can do to make you feel connected to me. I've done all I can do to help you feel understood. We don't need to make anybody feel perfectly understood because we can't do that. But we can, as God's people, we can embrace one another as we 
as we journey together as these pilgrims of faith, because we're not home yet. And brothers and sisters, I think too often you and I settle for the best this world has to offer, and we act like that's the best God has to offer, but those are not the same thing. And so here's what I want to close this, this message with this morning. To those of you who feel that, that ache, that holy homesickness, I want to tell you this. Because of Jesus, you really do belong. And just because you're spiritually homesick, it doesn't mean that you're crazy. It doesn't mean that you're broken. It doesn't mean that you're, you're weird. It, it doesn't mean that you're too much. What it means is that you're awake to the truth that a lot of us have fallen asleep to, and that is that this world is not our home. It's not. And so we hold on to that holy homesickness and we need people in our church who remind us that we're longing for a better country, a better family, a better church, a better friendship, a better marriage. We're, we're wanting a better life where all of us belong to one another because we completely belong to God, our Father. We are longing for, for heaven. And we'll know it when we get there. The gospel reminds us that all belonging that we experience in this life, it's just a foretaste of glory divine. We're going to sing together now, and as we do, I want you to think of someone in your life who struggles to feel included, who struggles to feel embraced, who you know struggles to feel like anyone really gets them. And I want you to start praying that God would help you be a foretaste. You can't be anything in, in all of its fullness, but you can be a foretaste of that home that we're all longing for, even though we've never, we've never been there. We haven't been there yet. But it's where we're going. Let's stand together now.